recording. <coughs> so we'll see how it goes. All right. I should have had all this figured out ahead of time, but I didn't. Um, so as I mentioned, we're going to start in um, uh, Acts chapter 15. And um, <clears throat> last week we just got into the beginning of it, and as we talk about Acts chapter 15, it's a subject on what? Circumcision. On circumcision, right. Um, we mentioned last week as we uh, uh, started the discussion, there were some things in verses 1 through 5, just reviewing that a little bit. Um, what, um, what can we say? Can someone kind of maybe summarize verses 1 to 5? Or we can talk about some of, you know, anything that's specific there. But these men from Judea came up, right? Yes. That's a start. So <laughs> they had something on their mind, right? Do you remember that, what that was? Thinking it's necessary in mm-hmm. addition to believing for their salvation. Right. And we think that they were, you know, they were not just, I don't want to say just an ordinary Jew. They were men of knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. Pharisees. Yeah. And, um, you know, they were very schooled in, you know, Judaism. And, they uh, were coming up and really introducing this topic of circumcision. And as they tried to do that, um, did Paul and Barnabas just kind of greet them with open arms and gave them a big hug? No. Yeah. Scripture says that they had a very hard felt debate discussion. They weren't happy. No small dissension. Right. No small discussion in debate, verse 2. So, um, as a result of that, they decided what happened then. They said, well, we need to take this to the apostles. Yeah, yeah, we need to go to Jerusalem, right? Mm -hmm. Talk to the the council there. Mm -hmm. And um, what's interesting, though, Scripture points out to us that on their way to uh, Jerusalem, which was, by the way, it's, that was about a 300-mile trip from them, from where they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were going up to Jerusalem, which was really going south from where they were. But, but 300 miles, and they were walking that, I guess. You know, So that's, that's, that's quite the trip. Uh, of course, they did that a lot. Uh, but still, um, 300 miles is a lot. Quite a ways to go. And along the way, they ran into, they were going through uh, Phoenicia and... Uh, Samaria and Phoenicia. Phoenicia is kind of a coastal region there on their way down. And those folks were mainly Gentiles that they were interacting with. As they were going through Samaria, though, we know from Scripture that Samaria consisted of half breeds. Half breeds, yeah. Yeah, maybe some Jews, some Gentiles, and then maybe a lot in the middle. I don't know, you know, half breeds. Uh, Jewish Gentiles. Jewish Samaritans, yeah. But they were witnessing. They were talking about all the, just the way the Lord had worked in their missionary journeys and all the Gentile, all the folks that they had seen come to know the Lord. And scripture says, again, that they were rejoicing over that. Um, And just off of that, I just, it brought to my mind as I was studying here about our testimony, about 
you know, each one of us has a testimony on our own salvation. And, you know, we, we don't always exercise that discussion, that testimony, um, because a lot of times, well, sometimes when we get together for fellowships, we'll talk about, you know, oh, how did you come to know the Lord? Or well, how did, this is how I came to know the Lord. That happens. But, um, but our testament, testimony not to Christians as well as non-Christians is, is a very valuable tool in our toolbox as Christians in terms of sharing how, how God has worked in our lives and changed our lives. But does our testimony stop there? No. What, what other things... Um, involve, you know, or reflect our testimony. What, what, what things can we do, or what do we do that you would consider, you know, our lifestyle? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Our, our lifestyle. Our lifestyle. Our yeah. I'm sorry. Sharing answered prayers. Yeah. Our growth as we grow mm -hmm. as Christians. Right. I mean, we can't be stagnated. We have to continue, even though we our salvation we. Our testimony, we cannot just sit there. We have to continue to grow, and when we grow, we, dis we disciple as well. Yes, yes. I was telling some men last night that, you know, whether we realize it or not, we all have a sphere of influence around us. And it may not be in, in the job, it might be some reports, but it really goes beyond that. It's all the people that we interact with mm -hmm. on a daily basis. You know, they're watching, they're uh, watching how we act, what we say. Uh, how we react to things with good news or bad news. Um, and uh, so we all have that sphere of, of influence or in light, you know, we're a light um, around those that we come in contact with. And uh, <clears throat> a lot of times uh, we don't realize it, but our testimony, what we say to others, you know, during a time of encouragement, that's part of our testimony is being there to encourage others to, uh, to reassure them uh, of God's promises. Um, we're providing salt and light in a lost environment. All those things come together. So it's not just, you know, how we came to know the Lord as our personal uh, Lord and Savior. It's, it's more than that. So I think that uh, those were kind of the takeaways and the application side of what we first read, really kind of uh, from last week, really kind of off of... Uh, first five verses. What I want to get into tonight now, though, is really, um, we're going we're gonna to go as far as we, you know, as far as the time takes us. And I'm not sure what time we need to be finished up. It's usually like quarter till. Okay. So we have a whole hour. <laughs> <laughs> I better talk slower, you know. Or we need to talk more. I've got, I've got a few pages here, but, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We're going to give you plenty of opportunity to give some feedback tonight, too. So, um, well, let's start out with looking at uh, someone to, having someone read verses, um, uh, let's read verses 6 through, uh, let's see here, let's start out, have, have someone read, if you will, verses uh, 6 through 8, having picked up on, uh, coming off of 5, verse 5. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. 
and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Okay. So they got to the council. It says that they, they welcomed them, they gathered together, and, um, and it didn't take long for them to, uh, to get into this discussion here. Um, at this point, um, we see this uh, statement that Peter stood up and said to them, uh, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice. And um, as we look at the, just that statement alone, what's Peter referring to when he talks about the early days? Pentecost. I'm sorry? Pentecost? No. No, he says yeah. in the Old so, Testament. I'm sorry? It should have been um, the Old Testament where God makes it. I believe it's in Amos or I, I saw it somewhere. Amos or Isaiah. <coughs> Amos 9-12. Actually, we're going to move just a few chapters back in Acts. Oh, because what he's what, what Peter's giving right now, right, is he's saying, "Hey, I'm, I, I got to stand up here. I, I know why you're here. You know, now let's talk about my own personal experience in the early days of my ministry." Is really kind of what he he didn't say there, but that's what he's alluding to. Um, he stood up and uh, said that uh, in the early days. Uh, which was probably 10 to 15 years prior to him writing this letter, uh, God made a choice, and that choice was clear to him. He actually used him to execute that choice. And what, what can you tell me uh, about that story that we're talking about? So you were Am I being too vague for you right now? House of Cornelius. I'm sorry? House of Cornelius. Yes, Cornelius. Yeah. In chapter 10. So if you remember back in chapter 10, we covered that where, you know, he's seeing the, the floating blanket that's got all the unclean and animals on it, and God's trying to tell him something in a dream, and he wakes up from that, and uh, there's a knocking on the door, and it's Cornelius's uh, entourage saying, hey, our master wants to come see you, and wants you to come see us. And he did, and that's really where... Uh, he followed them, and he actually preached the gospel then to Cornelius, his family, and his whole house, scripture says. So he's really reciting here, you know, God made a choice, which was formally pronouncing that God and God's sovereignty, he made a divine decision on a matter, on the matter of the Gentiles being saved without being circumcised, and that was in reference to Cornelius' house. Um, and he goes on there and says there in verse 6, that uh, or 7, I guess, that, um, that it was done by my mouth. I, Peter, was directly involved in carrying out this divine declaration. <clears throat> so that's kind of where he starts. And uh, we just covered, you know, uh, there in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48, where he actually went through that, that story. In uh, verse 8, uh, he makes this statement that God knows, God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. So, um, that statement, God knows the heart. 
what do we run to when we hear that word? I mean, there's verses that we, you know, I, the Lord, man looks on the outward appearance, but, you know, that's now the Old Testament, right? Uh, God looks upon the heart. Um, God being omniscient, omniscient and uh, a searcher of the hearts and a trier of the reins of the children of men knew with sincerity and he, that Cornelius and his, his crowd had a, uh, a eagerness and a you know, real desire to want to hear the word and, um, and as a result having heard that they believed in Christ and became believers themselves um, and it says as a result of that in verse 8 that he also gave them the Holy Spirit uh, but he not only gave them the Holy Spirit they were regenerated the Holy Spirit came in, they were reborn they were regenerated but he went beyond that with these Gentiles what was that that he did he provided them with the Holy Spirit as well uh, yeah and what happened they also were starting to speak with tongues, right? Mm -hmm. So not everybody that was given the Holy Spirit and the regeneration of that had, you know, had the, were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, you know, of speaking with tongues. I, I certainly, when I got saved, I didn't start speaking with tongues. But I'm in a different time frame too, I know, but I'm just saying that I think that whole event being regenerated uh, and uh, Holy Spirit coming to dwell within them and then they were also able to speak in tongues um, just like they did at Pentecost. So I mean, all you know, there's there's real legitimacy here relative to any critic that would in as they're talking in this assembly that would be critical of the fact that, you know, this oh you're just that that didn't really happen. No, it, it happened and, and and Peter was there to uh, uh, to verify that. This is all because the Gentiles were being introduced to Christ. Yes. And the Judaizers were coming in, they were trying to say, no, they need to do this before they can get saved. Circumcision, right. things like that. Or follow the law. Like in the book of Gentile, uh, Galatians, such a fight going on in there. Paul was so mad at the Galatians for turning away that he called them fools. Yeah, you're this whole me thing little, is starting. You're riding me a little bit of my thunder because we're going to talk about Galatians. Because you're absolutely right. He is so hard on that, mm -hmm. you know, um, that you just, you know, salvation is a free gift by grace and is as simple as believing and trusting by faith in Christ, yep. uh, with no other requirements, especially any elements of the law being drug into it, circumcision or anything else. Wherever Paul but, went, the Judaizers went. Yes. Trying to and, in fact, and in fact, as they, as they followed them up from uh, to Jerusalem, it wasn't just this quiet entourage. I kind of wonder how that conversation went. You know, because these were, there's, there's nothing that indicates that these Pharisees, former Pharisees, were not believers in Christ. But um, you know, this was a group that went up there, and you had that group that was really wanting to make their point when they got in the assembly in Jerusalem, to the a council in Jerusalem. And then you had the others like Barnabas and Paul and, and their group. I Did just you say they weren't believers in, or they were believers, the Pharisees were or weren't believers in Christ? 
What did you say? I'm saying Judaizers were trying to drag in a works element of the law into their salvation. But it's not to say that they were not uh, followers of Christ. Now, see, so when they bring in Judaism, brings in the, the Mosaic law, that's gone once the new covenant comes in. They have to accept that. And once it they is. don't accept that, then they, they're not really, I can't see how they can be believers yeah. in Christ when the new covenant, because once there used to be Gentiles and Jews, and then once the church, then there's believers. There's three different kinds of people. There's Gentiles, Jews, and believers. If you're not yes. a believer, you your believer does not have the, the Mosaic law. That's gone. There's only two, I, there's only I agree two with that. rules out of Mosaic law. I, I agree with that. So From, how can they be Christians well, if they don't, I mean, they're, they're, they're Pharisees, and then they don't believe in the, in the new covenant? I mean, I can't yeah. see how you can, you can't be, you can't be on the fence. You can't. You can't either you, one way or the other. You can't. There's no gray area. Right, right. So. I mean, I'm not arguing, I'm just saying, I don't see no. how you, when you're saying they're Christian. No, well, and I, okay, maybe, you know, they were followers of Christ, okay? Uh, the fact that what I, the materials that I've read kind of related to them as being followers of Christ. Um, and you can take that as right there. Yeah, they followed him, but maybe they weren't true believers because okay. they were attaching their some sort of works to their, Still uh, to the to the, to their belief. Yeah. Um, I, and that's. Isn't this, though, I don't know, I, and I don't know, I, um, where. <coughs> We could relate this to what we do today. Like, I am a firm believer in Christ and what he did for me on the cross. Yet, in my sinfulness, at times, I try to add to it by working for it or earning it. Um, not outrightly, <laughs> yeah. just in my sinfulness. You know, it, is it could it not be the same? I, I don't know. It's hard to say that they were definitely not believers. Well, it could also be in their ignorance. You know, they haven't been trained enough or discipled enough. You know, sometimes when you first come to Christ, you're really you've just got Christ and you really have not learned much yet. You don't know your Bible yet a lot of times, or you know. And I agree with that. You can always you can become a believer, but it's still so hard to right. fall back on your old habits. And, I, and that, that's what they're saying that these Judaizers did. They were falling back on the Mosaic law, still trying to do some of these laws when it was not supposed to be. I, I can understand what you're saying. I mean, I don't know hard. that we could say either way they were or weren't. But yeah, yeah. It had been in, you know, Judaism had been ingrained in them from the time they were knee high to a tadpole, mm -hmm. and now they're coming into this new reality, the new covenant, that all of that, all that um, ceremony and pomp and circumstance and all the laws and, you know, um, ordinances, there weren't nothing. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but they've been raised that way. Yeah. And that's really hard. That's hard for people who, uh, we talked, maybe, was it last week we talked about that? Or in, in some circle we talked a little bit about Catholicism and things like that. You know, people, are there people that go to Catholic Church that are believers? Absolutely. But they've been raised in that, that Catholic background. It's really hard for them to, to let that go. But in their heart of hearts, um, do they believe Christ and trust in Him? Yeah. Um, but only, you know, we will... We'll not know that until, mm -hmm. yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, the law of Moses became <coughs> passed, and the new covenant began. Yes. Now there's got to be a time. I'm thinking a time for that information to spread throughout the land. Now I'm thinking perhaps these people from Judea did not know it yet, had not heard it yet, so they're still not or haven't absorbed or turned to believe it yet. So they're still thinking works needs to be done. That, that's a question I'm asking you. It's well, I think you know that's what we're talking about. We're saying that so much of the Jewish uh, upbringing was a works-related, you know, got to live by all these 600 and some 13 requirements, 613 requirements, you know, and they've got to dot those I's and cross those T's, and that's really what they've been raised in, and it's just hard to uproot all of that uh, in a, you know, one false sweep, swoop. Um, but we also know that, you know, for us really, you know, it is not works, it's all of grace by God, and, uh, that we, we need to just believe on Christ and put our faith and trust in his finished work on the cross to be, you know, uh, to be a child of God, to be, so. Because even Peter, who walked with Jesus, you know, had to yeah. learn that yeah. it wasn't. Uh, right. So, you know, what I read, it was followers, you know, these folks, these, uh, these Pharisees were, were, they were former Pharisees. They weren't Pharisees anymore, but they were followers of Jesus. But um, they were still trying, you know, they still had this this nature of kind of trying to cling to something and introduce a works to, uh, to the salvation. It can't be that easy. You know, we've been working on 613 requirements and well, and, and in all honesty, we have the privilege of having the book, but how many people still believe or wonder and ask, it really seriously can't be that simple. Right. And we have all the facts, we have all the proof, we have all the books. We have other believers who share with us. I mean, I grew up Catholic, it was very simple for me to convert, and I see it as a release. I don't have to do all that stuff. So my life is easy, it's simple now. But there, like you said, are still some who believe, like my mother. And I, I, I presented that to a, a pastor one day, and ultimately, she's gone. He asked me, Miriam, does your mother believe in Christ? Yes, she does. Does she, he, does she believe in the virgin birth, in the life, death, and resurrection? Does she believe? And I said, yes, she does. And basically what he said, then don't worry about anything else. Because the important thing is that you believe. This is my Lord. This is my Jesus. He came and he died for me. You know? And, and again, today still people are having problems. I understand what Scott is saying and this young man here, but we won't know. God only knows our hearts, and we. I, my prayer is that nobody gets lost, because I don't want to not see somebody up there. Right. right. Well, Lynn, I'd just like to give them credit for being there. I mean, they might not got it right, but they're <laughs> right. there. Right. Yeah. Just like we're all here. Right. So I'm going to say, I'm going to give you a thumb up for that, and then we'll work the rest out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, to them it was, well, the, it, it was important for all of us. This meeting that they had in, Jer in uh, Jerusalem with the council was really, really mm -hmm. important. Um, it carried a lot of weight. Um, so, yeah. Question. Yeah. 
interesting to me when you see, because you brought out over here in the Jerusalem Council, it, they would hear the word filled with the Spirit like we were, and it was tongues. But it's interesting, it, at the bottom of my Bible, it gives some cross-references back to the early part of Acts. And back in chapter 2, when that occurred, it was tongues of, in their own language, yes. where they could understand what was being said, okay? Mm -hmm. Then Correct. when you go over to chapter 10, verses 40, 45 and 46, where it talks about, they get the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out on the Gentiles, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. It doesn't go into detail, but it leaves you with the idea they, all these times they were among people that spoke in different languages and that this pouring of the spirit at that point in time was for that benefit mm -hmm. to share the gospel yes. because you can get confused sometimes and I'm not trying to bring up a can of worms when you talk about tongues because you yeah. can. but there's a lot when you think about it, if you read this and take it some way you would think well if I get filled by the spirit I'm going to automatically speak in tongues well, yeah. that wasn't the case in this situation because it was to, because we all know what the Bible says about when you do that under the terms of doing it. Right. But in this case, it appears to be it was just a gratification so that everybody mm -hmm. there yes. would be aware of the Spirit yes. of God was present and would magnify God. Otherwise, they'd be sitting out in the dark. Well, in my translations, in uh, verse 46 says, uh, for they heard them speaking in other languages, right. declaring the greatness right. of God. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, Just right. like the chapter 2 does. Well, I can see the compare. I mean, when you go from chapter 2, which is about, mm -hmm. I can see when it says that they are speak with tongues, I look at it as a repetition of chapter 2, right. not different types right. of tongues, right. because it said magnifying God. Well, how could all these people gather around? be magnifying God because uh, they all didn't speak the same language. You know, which you've got to think about that. Nothing comes out and tells you that until you hear the tongues thing. But there might have been a lot of people around there speaking different languages. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is kind of reiterated again in where we've read tonight over in this chapter of what you said where they received as we did. You know, so. Yes. And uh, I think, you know, the, the point is with the tongues, you know, they had this, they were given, these new Gentiles now were, were given the same gift of the Holy Spirit as what they experienced at Pentecost. And, uh, and that really, you know, it went beyond just a regenerated heart, uh, which is number one, but, you know, and the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, but, but still. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So I also want to ask a question here of you. We talked a minute a minute ago about uh, although we cannot see the heart of a person, you know, we're talking about um, God knows the heart. But as we as we look at application in our own lives here uh, today, 2024, um, although we can't see the heart of a person, are there any indicators that we can observe from a person who professes to believe that their word is true? Is their actions, the way they live out their lives. Yeah. So their testimony, right? Yeah. 
How about any kind of scripture verse? And I'll tell you, I'm thinking, I'll give you a hand. I'm think, thinking of one in James. Oh. Remember? In James? He made the statement um, but someone, someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. So, you have faith, I have works. Uh, James comes back and says, Well, show me your faith apart from your works, then. And I will show you my faith by my works. So the point is, is that um, as we're doing, as we're as as servants of Christ, and we're trying to be a servant, um, as we serve others, brothers and sisters in Christ, etc. That's a result of first our relationship with Christ. We're not doing that as a result of trying to work our way to heaven. Uh, there's no works in that. But he's saying here that my works. Uh, my faith will be reflected in my work or my testimony, uh, how I'm living, you know, what others see in me. Um, but, um, you know, we can't look inside the heart of what God knows really does know the heart. And uh, sometimes we, uh, we can see folks that we kind of wonder about, you know, their walk. But at the end of the day, you know, that will, that will ring out. Okay, let's uh, uh, kind of read here verses uh, 9 and 10 real quick. Um, Peter goes on to say here, And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith, and the, uh, us and them as Jews and Gentiles, uh, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. So, first of all, you know, this question, why are you putting God to the test? What does putting God to the test mean? I think it's referring back to um, chapter, uh, <coughs> chapter 11 of Acts. Yeah. Um, verse... 17, at the end of verse 17, right there where it says, If then God made the same gift to them as, as he gave to us, when he believed, when we believed in the Lord, who was I that I could stand in God's way? It's basically saying, if God always wanted, told them to go, you know, outside of Samaria to convert the Gentile, who are we to, to, you know, test God and challenge that that's not going to happen? That's what he wanted. Why, why, why are we putting a wall? Exactly. Um, uh, I had here, you know, tempting and provoking God. Why are you putting God to the test? They're kind of all the same, right? You know, why are you provoking God? Why are you tempting God? Why are you putting God to the test? <clears throat> well, like Jerry says, by you know, why are you standing in the way of His declared purpose? And He's, you know, He's clear here that you know the Gentiles to the idea are going to be. You know, the gospel is open to them as well. And um, so, so yeah, when we, you know, he says there, why, uh, why are you putting God to the test? Or why are you standing in the way of God's declared purpose? And then he also mentions this word here, put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples. So we know what a yoke is. I didn't grow up on the farm, but, you know, 
I am a little bit laid back. I'm <laughs> a younger, so. um, but uh, yeah, it's that color that oxen wear. Yeah, it kind of ties them together, and you know they're kind of held together that way. So you're saying, why are why are you putting this uh, this yoke upon the neck of the disciples? Um, and is this a literal or a figurative language? Figurative language, right? So Obviously. is a yoke a good we're thing not, or a bad thing? We're not thing? Bad. Well, it's well, it makes sometimes it makes two oxen work together. Yeah. yeah I mean, I've seen where they put a yoke on there so one doesn't go ahead of the other. So but, I can either see it as a good thing or a bad thing, which I think it is I think a bad it's thing. good for the animal, <coughs> but for us using the animals. animals. <laughs> and that's true, I agree. But a okay. yoke can be a positive thing, and I consider reading this as a negative. Because like right. you're, yeah. you're holding back the disciples. But a yoke, it can also be considered if you have two oxen and one stronger one, one to lead, it makes it easier for the person doing the tilling or the farming or whatever it is, don't get me wrong. But a yoke is not always negative. So, but I, I in this content of this paragraph, in the context yeah. of this verse, it makes it as a negative. Way the, I see the yoke represents what in the context of this reading? Bondage or control. Bondage, control. the law. The law and circumcision. Yeah. yeah. Well, my Bible so. has a reference to Galatians 5.1. Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Right. So, yeah. so it's, yeah, but it's, it's, it's tying things together. There's bondage and stuff. It's unnecessary in the context of what we're talking about here. Right. Right. I thought of it as kind of on military and or in the term of slavery when you control something and you only want it to go a certain place. So so the concept of slavery versus capitalistic society, generally speaking, the capitalistic society is gonna move forward much faster than a slavery, um, than a slave society because it's, it's kind of control. Um, it's only gonna move as fast as you allow it to move versus, versus a capitalist. A capitalistic society allows, you know, whatever the profit and or, you know, the direction it needs to go, it's going to go that way. Mm -hmm. And I thought in that sense that maybe the yoke is the sense that the pace at which God wants this to move, um, you know, you, you put a, 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 a pace, control pace to it, it's not your job to do. Well. In the context of this verse, though, and what we're studying mm -hmm. here, we're talking about the yoke of bondage, and that really being the law. Okay. Uh, you know, why are you wanting to put a work requirement or circumcision right. or right. something on Gentiles? It, it, it serves of, of no value for them. Yeah. Uh, and actually, it serves of no value for the Jew anymore either, as far as that goes in Christ. But why are you why are you wanting to put that on them? Is is, is the question. And we, we mentioned earlier over in Galatians chapter 5, um, Paul used strong language, I think. Uh, forget David, whether David mentioned that or not. But chapter 3. <coughs> chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, he says, For freedom of Christ has set us free. So he's talking now of these foolish Galatians, as he refers to them. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again, every man who accepts, accepts circumcision, that he is obligated, then he is obligated to keep the whole law. 
and you are severed from Christ, uh, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace, for through uh, the spirit, uh, or through the spirit of faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. And in verse six, he says, "For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith uh, working through love." So. You know, he's emphatic there about that, and, and Peter's talking about that subject here, too. But uh, it comes up, you know, in very strong language out of, out of Paul and, and Galatians. Um, so here's a question for you. In, in lieu of this yoke and, and, you know, why are you putting God to the test? Do we ever put God to the test? No. We never do. Yes. No, we never do, right? I mean, yes, we do. <laughs> right. Give me some examples of how we put God to the test. Probably have a lot of examples. But just give me a few. What are some examples of how we put God to the test? God, if you just do this, I will. I was thinking the same thing. I will. Be both yeah. more time. If, if you, you do this, yeah. I'll do that. Right. Yeah. What about when we quote scripture, like for example, where it says, um, if we believe in God, not exactly. We ask of him what we want, and if it's in his will, it'll happen. It doesn't happen. Well, God, but you said, your word says that right. you will do this. If I ask, forgetting that, it is not in my time. And God always answers. He just doesn't always say yes. He right. doesn't always say right now. Yeah. But I want it now because God, you said you would. Your word says you would. Right. How often are we told to wait on the Lord? Not a lot. To your point. A lot. Yeah, I mean, we're supposed to. Uh, how often do we not wait on the Lord? We want to take, as an engineer, I fix stuff. You know, I've spent my whole career doing that. You know, when I have a problem, I want to, my, my flesh wants to kick in and just fix the problem. And, uh, whether it's a, a mechanical problem or whether it's a, a spiritual issue going on or whatever it is, you know, I just want to jump in and fix it. And I need to have patience and wait on him. Yes. And not try to ramrod my will to get it done. Because my will isn't necessarily going to be his will. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know? And so when, by not obeying <coughs> that, you know, not being obedient to being patient and waiting on the Lord, I'm tempting God. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, as an example, another example. Anybody else have any others that kind of popped into your mind about do we ever tempt God? Do we I ever think, uh, put him uh, to the test? We a lot of times break the second commandment, not in that we build an idol, but we make up a version of God in our own minds that we're comfortable with. Instead of accepting <coughs> some hard things that may that we claim they need to see in the Bible, everything like that, and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. I guess talking ourselves into the easy way, um, which may be the wrong and sinful way, and right. that's not who God is and what He says. So sometimes we do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for us we. It's the easier way to go. I mean, if, if we can find the easier way, well, you know, our flesh wants to take that. And that's not necessarily, I mean, 
that's not that that's not what God wants us to do, obviously. So. And along the lines of what Brian was saying, because my mind when he said idols, I completely agree with what he's saying. I do that as well, but also putting other things before him, having an idol, you know, be that family or children or you know, church yep. or whatever. Yeah, I had. How do we do that? I had not trusting in his promises, not leaning on God, uh, putting idols ahead of us, ahead of him. Um, we're not, and why do we do that? We're just not allowing the Holy Spirit to control us. We're not yielded or surrendered. You know, usually, I mean, when we're in that mode of, of uh, putting God to the test, it's because we are not surrendered. How about sinning? Going back to the same sin. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. You know, you'll, yeah. you'll overlook it. No, we're tempting God. Right. We're not giving that up. Right. Every day we're battling the flesh. You know. Every day. Every day. We've got to, when we're surrendered, and we can think of those times in our lives when we really were close to Him, and you know, when we were really, you know, just locked up with Him. You know, we could have waited for his decision until the cows came home, but completely happy with that. You know, yeah. maybe that's a, a wrong analogy, but you know what I'm saying. We we're we're patient, and we're waiting on him. But then the, the other times when our walk isn't as close, you know, we can, that's when these various examples pop up of where we just you know we're, we're just not uh, attempting him, we're not trusting his promises. Okay. Um, now we talked about yokes as well, right? And um, we mentioned here that you know maybe there's some good yokes, or there's some bad yokes, and then maybe there's some good yokes. Give me an example of a good yoke yeah, out of New Testament scriptures. So I mean that one's kind of ingrained in our head, but that's you know that that is true. He says. That um, come on, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is out of Matthew chapter eleven. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? Can somebody tell me what that means? It's What's being, that, or what that means to you? Being guided by the Holy Spirit. You know, that's a, a, a yoke is a way of directing, as who's putting, directing the oxen. Yeah. And this is another way of saying the Holy Spirit takes over and, and guides and directs you. Right now we're praying for our son, and sometimes he makes decisions to do one thing, and then the next day he changes his mind. He wants to do something else. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we always say that he's got He's got to get under the right yoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's giving it over to the Lord. I would say Jesus is in that yoke too, right? Yes. He's not necessarily the yeah. one like driving the yoke. Mm-hmm. He's in the yoke with you. Right. Which is amazing. Yeah, because we said this is, you know, this is figurative, but, you know, he says, my yoke is easy. Um, and that means what? When we submit to it, it's easy. If we don't, it becomes difficult. Yes. And my burden is light. 
and it all is related to walking, you know, our walk with the Lord. Um, to do the will of the Father and to please the Father, it's not a heavy burden. Um, carrying Jesus' yoke means to be, to be called to live our lives in him and for him. And that's what he's asking us to do. Um, but our flesh doesn't want, want that work that way. But uh, when we're walking with him, our burdens are not our burdens, they're his burdens. So it's lighter for us. Okay. So a few years, few years back, uh, the pastor taught a little lesson on yokes. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he showed us that when oxen are yoked together, each oxen has its own yoke. And the yoke is tailored or trimmed or sanded or smoothed out to fit each ox. If you put my burden on you, it's uncomfortable. It's either too heavy, too light, it's too rough on one side. That's my burden. I'm the one who's supposed to carry that yoke. You have one of your own. And that's what I think about when I think about the, the yoke being easy, is Christ has tailored it to us. Because your walk with Jesus is different than my walk with Jesus. You have things that he wants you to do. He has things he wants me to do. They're not necessarily the same thing. Right. And so we have to each have our own yoke. And it will be easy if we just love and trust Christ. Yeah. You know, and he made this statement in, in Matthew. Um, you know, he was saying, come unto me, all you that are, you know, burdened and heavy laden. I will give you rest. They all didn't come to him. It's only, you know, those that were uh, desiring to, those that had heavy burdens, those that were desiring to, believed in him and his words but not all came and um, you know we think about the lost world that we live in and, and the burdens that those people, those folks have are carrying but they really have no one to you know to reach out to to help help carry them, that burden for them but Christ does that for us and each burden to your point is different Okay, there in verse 11, um, as I kind of shuffle on here, he says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. Um, so, you know, we, we always ask the question, I always ask myself, okay, now, what is grace? Grace is? Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor, undeserved favor. And what is mercy then? Not, not giving us what we deserve. What we deserve. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But we hear that a lot. In, I mean, you know, grace and mercy. We, we ask for God's grace. We ask for God's mercy. Uh, and they can sometimes be a little bit, I mean, for someone, you know, they can be confusing. But, but grace is uh, undeserved favor. You know, um, I shouldn't be getting what God has given. So um, he also says there in, the, in that verse, verse 11, he says that we will be saved through Lord Jesus Christ just as they will be saved. So who's the we? Because Peter's speaking here. The Jews will be saved the same way as Gentiles. Did you just say? Is we the Jews? Yeah. 
He's, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, you know, um, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, the circumcision, will be saved just as the uncircumcision will be. Um, and uh, basically, there's, a, there's, a, there's no advantage to being circumcised. There's no disadvantage to being circumcised. It's free grace to them. Okay, so let's read uh, verses uh, 11. Let's, uh, verses 12, 12 through 18. And someone read verses 12 to 18. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonder God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from the people for his name and with with this the words of the prophet agree just as written um, um, are we reading to 17 you said? Uh, to 18, 18. Um, just as it's written after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen I will rebuild its ruins I will restore it that the, um, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known, known from, from of old. Okay. Yes. Okay. So basically what's happened here was, <clears throat> we just get this dissertation from Peter. You know, he talks about, hey, I was there, I saw... You know, I'm, I'm telling you, this is what happened to Cornelius and his family. So he was the first one to stand up and say, he stood up and he he gave his uh, his testimony, basically, what happened. And uh, and wraps it up by saying, you know, there's no difference. You know, uh, we're all, uh, it, it doesn't matter uh, with or without circumcision. It has nothing to do with salvation. So there, he was done. So he sat down. Okay. And then what, what, what does it say? Who got up then? Barnabas and Paul. Okay, it's their turn now to get up. So this is, this is part two. Not as many verses, but basically Barnabas and uh, Paul uh, got up and talked about the signs and wonders uh, that God had done through them with the Gentiles. And um, uh, they gave detailed facts uh, Expounded on their testimony and so forth, um, and then we get to verse thirteen, and then they sat down. There. So they sat, down. and then we had the third. This is a you know, three's a charm. Then we had James. James stood up, and who was who was James? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. What do we know about James? Basically, let's a little bit of the context. Who who is James? And what we know about. Him. Yeah. Half of the Jesus. Yes. Yeah, Galatians one nineteen that describes him as being a half brother of Jesus. And what else can we say about James? Here, was he a Jew? Yeah. Yes, he was a Jew. <laughs> um, the uh, was the author. Was he an author? Author of the book of James. 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 <laughs> um, 
Was he a pastor? Yeah. Of the church in Jerusalem. Yes, sir. He was pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So he was the the senior pastor in the church of Jerusalem. So he's listened to Peter. He also has listened to this testimony of Barnabas and Paul on their journey and all the conversions, you know, the conversions of the Gentiles. So he's been sitting back there listening and so on and so forth. So now it's his turn to stand up. And uh, he's really the chairman, if you will, or the head of the, of the church. And he's speaking last. Um, so Simeon, it says there, Simeon is the, uh, is just a Hebrew variation for Simon. So it's, it's, it's really Simon. And he's talking about Peter here in this case. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Uh, he says, you know, uh, Simon Peter uh, hath declared how God at first, and again, he's talking about at first, reiterating this time ago when Peter did uh, preach to Cornelius. That's what his reference is there in Acts 15, 7. Um, visited the Gentiles to take out from them uh, a people for his name. Um, and so why, uh, why do you think God took out people for his name. Why does he take out people for his name? For his, glory. A, huh? for his glory. For his glory. For his praise. For his glory. He took us out. Um, he took others out for, you know, to glorify him. Now, if you were a Jew and you were hearing these words about a people that he took out, that's, they've heard those words, but it wasn't in reference to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, right? It was, you know, I mean, because Israel is, you know, we've heard Israel, God's chosen Israel, they were his chosen people. So they're looking at the word people in the context of, you know, the selected ones, the, you know, God's people. Out of, so when they're hearing these words, you can kind of imagine a, a little bit of the, uh, the initial shock uh, that they were having uh, uh, with uh, with that, based upon their Old Testament uh, nation or Old Testament nation of Israel, referred to as people of God. But now God's people are really true believers in this case that we're talking about, not the unbelieving Jews nor the unbelieving Gentiles, but you know, uh, both Jew and Gentile in Christ. And it's interesting what. Um, what James goes on there in verses 9, uh, chapter 9, and he quotes Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, uh, as we get into verses 16 and 17. And, and uh, uh, what is he saying there as you read those verses? Kind of paraphrase that for me. I'm doing a lot of talking here, but. Um, If we went back to Amos, we could read that, but he really quoted it there, so. God has always had a plan to include all people. Correct. And so Amos is making reference, as well as Isaiah, that, um, but you know, pastor has been drilling in our heads. Because of Abrahamic covenant, God has promised all nations will be blessed. And so therefore, it includes 
all the it was God in the beginning wanted all mm -hmm. peoples to be saved. Mm -hmm. <coughs> yes, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. um, in the in the verse in Amos, he talks about the uh, basically he says the uh, the uh, the tent has fallen down. He has to rebuild the tent, and uh, it had uh, and that tent that had been that had fallen down that has to be rebuilt is, is kind of in reference to Jews, to the Jews. You know, they, they rejected Christ, it was broken. Mm -hmm. And so, um, since they rejected God, or rejected Christ, now God wanted to rebuild that work uh, by focusing on the church uh, that is made up of Jews and Gentiles. So as we get into uh, rebuild the tent of David, that has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, and the remnant of mankind may, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known of old. So, you know, he's, this is a prophecy of the fact that uh, the Gentiles will be part of uh, his name. <coughs> well, mine says that it says, all nations that bear my name, this is the declaration of the Lord. He will do this. And so that's from Amos. I got the different I yeah. the CSB. So yeah, all yeah, the nations CSB. is going to be included. Right. And right. God's plan has always been to right. include right. all people. Yeah. So the plan of, of uh, using Israel to communicate and be priests of God to the, all nations, that failed, right? I mean, and as a result, and they rejected Christ, so he prophesies here in Amos that he's gonna rebuild this tent and it's going to be for all nations. Uh, so I know in my book it says, it says tabernacle, so you're saying church, the tabernacle, and the tent, is that, he's gonna rebuild that? Is that what, I'm not understanding that. Well, it's in that, it's figurative language again, right? Right, Amos from the Old Testament. Okay. Yeah, so, but he's prophesying that that uh, the Old Testament is, you know, and the tabernacle was broken through just the rejection of Christ. And that he's, he's going to rebuild that tent and it's going to be all-inclusive with all nations and including Jews as well. Um, so... Uh, <clears throat> Gentiles who are called by my name. Um, so we uh, so basically we had James standing up here and, and talking about prophecy. So he went to um, he, he, the, the point I guess that I take away from this, this verse is the fact that and it's an example for us in application when after he had listened to you know the testimony of, of Peter and Paul and Barnabas then he stood up you know to make a statement and um, what he went to was scripture to to underscore his final re recommendation and conclusion to the whole matter of circumcision versus non-circumcision um, and he used uh, scripture to point out that Gentiles are in you know all nations all Gentile nations are are offered the, the offer of grace, you know, through Christ. Without 
anything else being attached. I thought it was yeah. good that he, well, what stood out to me is that he, you know, Peter got up there and gave a testimony and witness, but then James backed him up with scripture. Like right. he always has right. the final word. Yes. That's what yeah. it says in the word. Kind of <laughs> the matter as the head of the council in Jerusalem. Yeah, he did that. And to remind them um, of what they should have known. I mean, they should have known the scripture as well. Yeah, well, but... Yes. Uh, if they were learned. Yeah, okay. If they were, if they were, you know, but um, but as we look at the application of what's coming down here um, in our own lives, when we have questions, when we're listening to a matter, you know, someone told me, you know, you listen to both sides of the story and the truth is somewhere in between. Now, it may not be exactly in between. It might be a little more this way uh, or whatever, but you, you know, at the end of the day, I guess uh, what I'm saying is, is that um, where do we run to when we have questions about spiritual things? Is everything that we have, what we run into in life, is it all found in the Bible? What? We run through the Holy Spirit. Usually reading the Bible, they'll start having the questions. <laughs> some, some, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So I so, need somebody to help explain it to them. And we talked earlier. Do we ever make this decisions with outrunning to the Bible and mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. all the time, right? Unfortunately. Because our flesh gets in the way. Mm -hmm. um, I'm definitely guilty of that. Um, but, you know, this is what Amos is doing. I mean, what uh, James is doing. He's running to Scripture to say, I'm, you know, we're still a whole matter here, you know. You know, God prophesied that the nations would be would be blessed through Christ. You know, they, they would, you know, this invitation of salvation was open to them as well. Um, <clears throat> I heard someone say, today many things are considered to be biblical, if they simply don't contradict something in the Bible, even though they may not have root in the scriptures. What do you think of that? Is that true? If it's too, today, many things are considered to be biblical if they simply don't contradict something in the Bible, even though they may not be, uh, they may not have a root in scriptures. And I've got some of those live maxims which you have to think you're like is that in the Bible or is that just some good thing that someone else yes. said yeah. that you hear all the old adages yeah, yeah I mean I've heard people say that's in the Bible and I'm like where where is that in the Bible <laughs> exactly and it's not you know well, but it so sounds many people have heard it so many times it, and they believe it without actually yeah. going to look it up mm -hmm. yeah, so. I didn't write any down but there that does exist that does happen like the one God helps those who help right. themselves. That's yeah. one of them that I read about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or he will never give you more than you can bear. That's, that's not, another one I read. That's, that's not. <laughs> you won't find that. Says. Cleanliness is next to cleanliness. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's another one. So you've all heard them before. <laughs> okay. We just have to be careful about that. Um, you know, my thought is like if I can't, if I've got a big, I've got a decision to make here about something. Um, and I can't really find it or just don't have the, the background knowledge enough about it, you know, I will go to someone else and, and share that with them. I will talk to the pastor. I will talk to a brother in Christ who's kind of gone through the same thing or whatever, but 
you know, I before I just jump out and just do it. You know, it's wise. It's wise to go talk to someone about it and just bounce off of them what's happening in your life or this decision you've got to make. And um, a lot of times, um, doing that, uh, it'll just be a reminder to you of something that <laughs> you already knew. That you know, their their feedback may well, you just need to wait on the Lord. Man. Just be patient. But still, you know, so that that happens, and that's 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 my recommendation on that. That's that would be that would be wise. Um, this is something that I think it's kind of like affirmation and action of what it says in Timothy about how the scriptures help people teach you. We're actually seeing them do all that right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely are. Um, okay. Any? I think we're going to kind of. Stop right there. I think that's a good stopping point. Anyway, now what we're going to do is he's actually going to write this letter, uh, yeah, and uh, and let that be known. You know, yeah. I'm just an observation, just looking at this. You imagine the impact on these people when you got Paul standing there who was killing Christians, and all of a sudden he's trying to make you a Christian. And right. Right behind that, he's confirmed. Jesus's half brother. I mean, real. You're standing there listening to the half brother of Jesus. To me, would be pretty impactful to anybody because he would know a lot of things. Yes, just because he was in the family. Right. You know, and he had the opportunity of sitting in this room, sitting in that room, listening to all this testimony going on with the Judaizers or so over here in the corner. And, uh, you know, so he was taking all that in. And, uh, uh, but in the end, you know, he went, well, scripture, where do I find an example of scripture? Maybe not that he was necessarily indecisive, but, but that just going to scripture and saying, you know, God's word says this, and this is why we're doing this. You know, it's a foundation. It's the, it's the cornerstone for the, the rudeness of that decision you made. So. <coughs> we don't always do that, um, but we should. Yeah, it's good, good to get into. All right, so we want to close this out in the word prayer here, and we'll, we'll go home. Lord, we thank you that uh, you're in the yoke with us, and that your yoke is uh, easy and your burden is light. And uh, whatever uh, comes our way, Lord, we know that you're bearing a burden with us. You and uh, Lord, I'm, I'm just glorying that and glorying you tonight uh, for your goodness and for your love. Uh, bless the rest of this week. Thank you for the shot of encouragement that we got tonight.